CD3. It was indeed a garden, like a lot of other gardens you got in areas like Clay Lane. The grey soil was nothing more than old brick dust, elderly cat mess and generalised semi-rotted dross. At the far end was a three-hole privy. They were built handily by the gates to the back lane, so the night soil men didn't have far to go. But this one had a small stone cylinder turning gently beside it. The garden didn't get much proper light. Gardens like this never did. You got second-hand light, once the richer folk in the taller buildings had finished with it. Some people kept pigeons or rabbits or pigs on their plots, or planted against all experience a few vegetables. But it'd take magic beans to reach the real sunlight in gardens like this. Nevertheless, someone had made an effort. Most of the spare ground had been covered with gravel of different sizes, and this had been carefully raked into swirls and curves. Here and there, apparently with great thought, some individual larger stones had been positioned. Vimes stared at the garden of rocks, desperate for anything to occupy his attention. He could see what the designer had in mind, he thought, but the effect had been spoiled. This was the big city, after all. Garbage got everywhere. The main disposal method was throwing it over a wall. Sooner or later, someone would sell it on, or possibly eat it. A young monk was carefully raking the gravel. He gave a respectful bow as Sweeper approached. The old man sat down on a stone bench. Uh, "'Push off and get us two cups of tea, lad, will you?' he said. "'One green with yak butter, and Mr Vimes will have it boiled orange in a builder's boot with two sugars and yesterday's milk, right?' "'That's how I like it,' said Vimes weakly, sitting down. Sweeper took a deep, long breath. "'And I like building gardens,' he said. "'Life should be a garden.' Vimes stared blankly at what was in front of them. "'Okay,' he said. "'The gravel and rocks, yeah, I can see that. "'Shame about all the rubbish. "'It always turns up, doesn't it?' "'Yes,' said Lutzay. "'It's part of the pattern.' "'What? The old cigarette packet?' Suddenly, that invokes the element of air, said Sweeper. And the cat doings? To remind us that disharmony, like a cat, gets everywhere. The cabbage stalks? The used sonkey? Uh, named after Wallace Sonkey, a man without whose experiments with thin rubber, the housing pressure in Ankh-Morpork would have been a good deal more pressing. At our peril, we forget the role of the organic in the total harmony. What arrives, seemingly by chance, in the pattern is part of the higher organisation that we can only dimly comprehend. This is a very important fact and has a bearing on your case. And the beer bottle? For the first time since Vimes had met him, the monk frowned. You know, some bugger always tosses one over the wall on his way back from the pub on Friday nights. If it wasn't forbidden to do that kind of thing, he'd feel the flat to my hand and no mistake. It's not part of the higher organisation. Possibly. Who cares? That sort of thing gets on my thungers. It really does, said Sweeper. He sat back with his hands on his knees. Serenity flowed once more. Well, now, Mr Vimes, you know the universe is made up of very small items. Huh? We've got to work up to things gradually, Mr. Vimes. You're a bright man. I can't keep telling you everything is done by magic. Am I really here too? In the city, I mean, a younger me? Of course. Why not? Where was I? 
Oyas, made up of very small items, and this is not a good time to be in the watch. I remember. There's a curfew, and that was only the start. Small items, Mr. Vimes, said Sweeper sharply. You'll need to know this. Oh, all right. How small? Very, very small. So tiny that they have some very strange ways indeed. Vimes sighed. And I ask you, what ways are these, yeah? I'm glad you asked that question. For one thing, they can be in many places at once. Try to think, Mr. Vimes. Vimes tried to concentrate on what was probably the discarded fish and chip wrapper of infinity. Oddly enough, with so many horrible thoughts crowding his head, it was almost a relief to put them on one side in order to consider this. The brain did things like that. He remembered once when he'd been stabbed and would have bled to death if Sergeant Angwer hadn't caught up with him, and how, as he lay there, he'd found himself taking a very intense interest in the pattern of the carpet. The senses say, We've only got a few minutes. Let's record everything, in every detail. That can't be right, he said. If this seat is made up of lots of tiny things that can be in lots of places at once, why is it standing still? Give the man a small cigar, said Sweeper, jubilantly. That's the big problem, Mr. Vimes, and the answer, our abbot tells us, is that it is in lots of places at once. Ah, here's the tea. And in order for it to be in lots of places at once, the multiverse is made up of a vast number of alternative universes, an oodleplex of oodleplexes. That's like the biggest number anyone can think of, ever, just so as it can accommodate all the quantum. Am I going too fast for you? Oh, that, said Vimes. I'm all about that. Like, you make a decision in this universe, and you made a different decision in another one. I heard the wizards talking about that at a posh reception once. They were arguing about the glorious 25th of May. And what were they saying? Oh, all the old stuff. That it would have turned out different if the rebels had properly guarded the gates and the bridges, and that you can't break a siege by a frontal attack. But they were saying that, in, in a way, everything happened somewhere. And you'll believe them. It sounds like complete thungers. But sometimes you can't help wondering, what would have happened if I'd done something different? Like when you killed your wife? Sweeper was impressed at Vimes's lack of reaction. This is a test, right? You're a quick student, Mr Vimes. But in some other universe, believe me, I hauled you off and punched you one. Again, Sweeper smiled the annoying little smile that suggested he didn't believe him. "'You haven't killed your wife,' he said, "'anywhere. There is nowhere, however huge the multiverse is, where Sam Vimes, as he is now, has murdered Lady Sibyl. But the theory is quite clear. It says that if anything could happen without breaking any physical laws, it must happen. But it hasn't.' And yet, the many universes theory works. Without it, no one would ever be able to make a decision at all. So? So what people do matters, said Sweeper. People invent other laws. What they do is important. The abbot's very excited about this. He nearly swallowed his rusk. It means the multiverse isn't infinite, and people's choices are far more vital than they think. They can, by what they do, change the universe. Sweeper gave Vimes a long look. Mr Vimes, you're thinking, 
I'm back in time, and damn me, I'm probably going to end up being the sergeant that teaches me all I know, right? I've been wondering. The watch would offer any gutter trash a job in those days, because of the curfew and all the spying, but look, I remember Keel, and yes, he did have a scar and an eye patch, but I'm sure as hell that he wasn't me. Right, the universe doesn't work like that. You were indeed taken under the wing of one John Keel, a watchman from Pseudopolis, who came to Ankh-Morpork because the pay was better. He was a real person. He was not you. But do you remember if he ever mentions to you that he was attacked by two men not long after he got off the coach? Hell, yes, said Vimes. The muggers, he got this... <coughs> he got his scar that way. A good old Ankh-Morpork welcome. But he was a tough man, took them both down, no problem. This time there were three, said Sweeper. Well, three's trickier, of course, but you're the policeman. You guess the name of the third man, Mr. Vimes. Vimes hardly had to think. The answer erupted from the depths of his darker suspicion. Casa! He soon settled in, yes. The bastard was in the next cell. He even told me he'd grab some money. And you're both stuck here, Mr. Vimes. This isn't your past any more. Not exactly. It's a past. And up there is a future. It might be your future, but it might not be. You want to go home now, leaving Casa here and the real John Keel dead? But there'll be no home to go to if you could do that because young Sam Vimes wouldn't get a swift course in basic policing from a decent man if you did. He'll learn it from people like Sergeant Nock and Corporal Quirk and Constable Colon, and that might not be the worst of it by a long way. Vimes shut his eyes. He remembered how wet behind the ears he'd been, and Fred, well, Fred Colon hadn't been too bad under the half-hearted timorousness and lack of imagination, but Quirk had been an evil little sod in his way, and as for Nock, well, Nock had been Fred's teacher, and the pupil wasn't a patch on the master. What had Sam Vimes learned from Keel? To stay alert, to think for himself, to keep a place in his head free from the quirks and knocks of the world, and not to hesitate about fighting dirty today if that was what it took to fight again tomorrow. He'd often thought he'd have been dead long ago if it wasn't for... He looked up sharply at the monk. "'Can't tell you that, Mr. Vimes,' said Lutze. "'Nothing's certain cause of quantum.' "'But look, I know my future happened because I was there.' "'No. What we've got here, friend, is quantum interference. Mean anything?' "'No. Well, let me put it this way. "'There's one past and one future, but there are two presents. "'One where you and your evil friend turned up, and one where you didn't. We can keep those two presents going side by side for a few days. It takes a lot of run time, but we can do it. And then they'll snap back together. The future that happens depends on you. We want the future where Vimes is a good copper, not the other one. But it must have happened, snapped Vimes. I told you I can remember it. I was there yesterday. Nice try, but that doesn't mean anything any more, said the monk. Trust me. Yes, it's happened to you, but even though it has, it might not, cause of quantum. Right now, 
There isn't a Commander Vimes-shaped hole in the future to drop you into. It's officially uncertain. But it might not be, if you do it right. You owe it to yourself, Commander. Right now, out there, Sam Vimes is learning to be a very bad copper indeed, and he learns fast. The little monk stood up. I'll let you think about that, he said. Vimes nodded, staring at the gravel garden. Sweeper crept away quietly and went back into the temple. He walked to the other side of the office. He removed a strange-shaped key from around his neck and inserted it into a small door. The door opened. Brilliant sunlight burst ahead of him. He walked on, his sandals leaving the cold flagstones and walking onto well-trodden earth in broad, hot daylight. The river had a different course this far back in the past, and present-day residents of Ankh-Morpork would have been surprised at how pleasant it looked. 700,000 years ago. Hippos sunbathed on a sandbank out in midstream and, according to Q, were getting troublesome lately. He'd had to set up a little temporal fence around the camp at nights so that any hippo trying to wander in among the tents found themselves back in the water with a headache. Q himself, his straw hat protecting his head from the hot sun, was supervising his assistants in a vined-off area. Alutse sighed as he walked towards it. There were going to be explosions. He knew it. It wasn't that he disliked Q, the Order's master of devices. The man was a sort of engineering equivalent of the abbot. The abbot had taken thousand-year-old ideas and put them through his mind in a new way, and as a result the multiverse had opened for him like a flower. Q, on the other hand, had taken the ancient technology of the procrastinators that could save and restore time, and had harnessed it to practical, everyday purposes, such as, yes, blowing people's heads off. It was something that Lutze tried to avoid. There were better things to do with people's heads. As Lutze approached, a line of joyful dancing monks wove their way along a bamboo replica of a street, letting off firecrackers and banging gongs. As they reached the corner, the last monk turned and lightly tossed a little drum into the outstretched arms of a straw dummy. The air shimmered, and the figure disappeared with a small thunderclap. "'A nice to see something not blowing anyone's head off,' said Lutze, "'leaning on a vine rope. "'Oh, hello, sweeper,' said Q. "'Yes, I wonder what went wrong. "'You see, the body should have moved forward by a microsecond "'and left the head where it was.' "'He picked up a megaphone. "'Thank you, everyone. Places for another run. "'Soto, take over, please.' "'He turned to Lutze. "'Well, he is thinking about it,' said the sweeper. "'Oh, for heaven's sake, Lutze. "'This is completely unauthorised, you know.' We're supposed to prune out rogue history loops, not expend vast amounts of time keeping them going. This one's important. We owe it to the man. It wasn't his fault. We had the major temporal shattering just as he fell through the dome. Two timelines running side by side, moaned Q. That's quite unacceptable, you know. I'm having to use techniques that are completely untried. Yes, but it's only a few days. What about Vimes? Is he strong enough? He's got no training for this. He defaults to being a copper. A copper's a copper wherever he is. I really don't know why I listen to you, Lucy. I really don't, said Q. He glanced up at the arena and hurriedly raised his megaphone to his lips. Don't hold it that way up. I said don't. There was a thunderclap. Lucy didn't bother to look round. Q lifted the megaphone again and said wearily, All right, someone please go and fetch Brother Kai, will you? Start looking around, oh, two centuries ago. "'You don't even use these very useful devices, I, uh, devise,' he added to Lutze. "'I don't need to,' said Lutze. "'Got a brain. 
Anyway, I use the temporal toilet, don't I? A privy which discharges ten million years into the past was not a good idea, Sweeper. I'm sorry I let you persuade me. It's saving us fourpence a week to Harry King's bucket boys, Q, and that's not to be sneezed at. Is it not written, a penny saved is a penny earned? Besides, it all lands in a volcano anyway, perfectly hygienic. There was another explosion. Q turned and raised his megaphone. Do not bang the tambourine more than twice, he bellowed. It's tap, tap, throw, duck. Please pay attention. He turned back to the sweeper. Four more days at most, Lute say, he said. I'm sorry, but after that I can't hide it in the paperwork. And I'll be amazed if your man can stand it. It'll affect his mind sooner or later, however tough you think he is. He's not in his right time. We're learning a lot, though, Lutzay insisted. For a perfectly logical chain of reasons, Vimes ended up back in time even looking rather like Keel, Eyepatch and Scar. Is that narrative causality, or historical imperative, or just plain weird? Are we back to the old theory of the self-correcting history? Is there no such thing as an accident, as the abbot says? Is every accident just a higher-order design? I'd love to find out. Four days, Q insisted. Any longer than that, and this little exercise will show up, and the abbot will be very, very annoyed with us. Right you are, Q, said the sweeper meekly. He'll be annoyed if he has to find out, certainly, he thought, as he walked back to the door in the air. He'd been very specific. The abbot of the history monks, the men in saffron, no such monastery, they had many names, couldn't allow this sort of thing, and he'd taken pains to forbid Lutzay from this course of action. He had added, but when you know, I expect historical imperative will win. Sweeper went back to the garden and found Vimes still staring at the empty baked bean tin of universal oneness. Well, Commander, he said, are you really like policeman for time, said Vimes, "'Well, in a way,' said Sweeper. "'So you make sure the good stuff happens?' "'No, not the good stuff. "'The right stuff,' said Sweeper. "'But frankly, these days, we have our work cut out "'making sure anything happens. "'We used to think time was like a river. "'You could row up and down and come back to the same place. "'Then we found it acted like a sea, "'so you could go from side to side as well. "'Then it turned out to be like a ball of water.' You could go up and down, too. Currently we think it's like, oh, lots of spaces all rolled up. And then there's time jumps and time slips, and humans mess it up, too, wasting it and gaining it. And then there's quantum, of course, the monk sighed. There's always bloody quantum. So, what with one thing and another, we think we're doing well if yesterday happens before tomorrow, quite frankly. You, Mr. Vimes, got caught up in a bit of... An event. We can't put it right, not properly. You can. Vimes sat back. I've got no choice, have I? He said. As my old sergeant used to say, you do the job that's in front of you. He hesitated. But that's going to be me, isn't it? I taught me all I know. No, I explained. I didn't understand it. But perhaps I don't have to. Sweeper sat down. Good. And now, Mr. Vimes, I'll take you back inside and we'll work out what you need to know from all this, and Q'll set up the spinners and we'll just bounce you in time a little so that you'll give yourself the message. You know you did it because you saw it. We can't have you running around knowing all about us. I'll get suspicious. You'll have to make it convincing. I'll still be suspicious, 
You won't trust even yourself? I'm a devious character. I could be hiding something. How are you going to get me back to the old watch house? Don't even think about giving me some kind of potion. And I'll well blindfold you, twirl you around, take you the long way and walk you back, I promise. Any other advice? said Vimes gloomily. Just be yourself, said Sweeper. See it through. There'll come a time when you'll look back and see how it all made sense. Really? I wouldn't lie. It'll be a perfect moment, believe me. But, Vimes hesitated, yes? You must know there's another little problem if I'm going to be Sergeant Keel. I've remembered what day this is, and I know what's going to happen. Yes, I know too. Shall we talk about that? Captain Tilden blinked. What happened there? he said. Where? said Vimes, trying to fight down nausea. Time coming back had felt like being squeezed just for a moment in a giant vice. You blurred man! Perhaps I'm a bit tired of this, said Vimes. Listen, Captain, I am John Keel. I can prove it, OK? Ask me some questions. You've got my papers there, haven't you? Tilden hesitated for a moment. He was a man whose mind was ponderous enough to have momentum. It was quite hard for his thoughts to change direction. Who is commander of the Sudopolis Watch, then? he said. Sheriff McElwheat, said Vimes. Ah, wrong. Fallen at the very first fence, what? In fact, you fool, it's Sheriff Purley. Excuse me, sir, said Snouty nervously. Yes, what? <laughs> it is McElwheat, sir. Purley died last week. Heard it in the <laughs> pub. Fell into the river when drunk, said Vimes helpfully. That's what I <clears throat> heard, sir, said Snouty. Tilden looked furious. You could have known that, what? he said. It doesn't prove anything. Ask me something else, then, said Vimes. Ask me what McElwheat said about me. I just hope I've got the answers right. Well, said I was the best officer on his force and he was sorry to see me go, said Vimes. Said I was of good character. Said he wished he could pay me the $25 a month I was going to get here. I never offered you. No, you offered me $20 and now that I've seen the mess here, I'm not taking it, Vimes rejoiced. Tilden hadn't even learned how to control a conversation. If you pay Nock $20, he owes you $19 change. The man couldn't talk and chew gum at the same time. Oh, look at this, will you? Vimes dumped his handcuffs on the desk. The gaze of Snouty and Tilden swung to them as if magnetic. Oh dear, thought Vimes, and stood up and lifted the crossbow out of Snouty's hands. It was all in the movement. If you moved with authority, you got a second or two extra. Authority was everything. He fired the bow at the floor and then handed it back. A kid could open those cuffs, and, while Snoutley here keeps a very clean jail, he's completely draws at being a guard, said Vimes. This place needs shaken up. He leaned forward, knuckles on the captain's desk, and his face a few inches from the trembling moustache and the milky eyes. Twenty-five dollars, or I walk out that door, he said. It was probably a phrase never ever said before by any prisoner anywhere on any world. Twenty-five dollars, murmured Tilden, hypnotised. And a rank will be sergeant-at-arms, said Vimes. Not sergeant. I'm not going to be given orders by the likes of knock. Sergeant-at-arms, said Tilden distantly. But Vimes saw the hint of approval. It was a good military-sounding title, and it was still on the books. In fact, it was a pretty ancient pre-coppering term, back in the days when a court employed a big man with a stick to drag miscreants in front of it. Vimes had always admired the simplicity of that arrangement. Well, uh, Sheriff McElweed uh, certainly gave you a most glowing reference, 
said the captain, shuffling the papers. Very glowing. Things have been a little difficult since we lost Sergeant Wi- And I'll be paid my first month in advance, please. I need clothes and a decent meal and somewhere to sleep. Tilden cleared his throat. <clears throat> Many of the unmarried men stay in the barracks in Cheapside. Not me, said Vimes. I'll be lodging with Dr Lorne in Twinkle Street. Well, Rosie Palm did suggest he had a spare room. Um, <coughs> pox, <coughs> doctor, said Snouty. Yeah, I'm particular about the company I keep, said Vimes. It's also just around the corner. He took his hands off the desk, stood back and whipped off a salute of almost parodic efficiency, the sort that Tilden had always loved. I'll report for duty at three o'clock tomorrow this afternoon, sir, he said. Thank you, sir. Tilden sat mesmerised. It was twenty-five dollars, sir, I believe, said Vimes, still maintaining the salute. He watched the captain get up and go to the old green safe in the corner. The man was careful not to let Vimes see him turn the dial, but Vimes was pretty certain he didn't need to. The safe had still been there when he made captain, and by then everyone knew the combination was 4478, and that no one seemed to know how to change it. The only things worth keeping in it had been the tea and sugar and anything you particularly wanted Nobby to read. Tilden came back with a small leather bag and slowly counted out the money, and was so cowed that he didn't ask Vimes to sign anything. Vimes took it, saluted again, and held out his other hand. Badge, sir, he said. Ah, er, uh, oh yes, yes, of course. The captain, entirely unnerved, fumbled in the top drawer of the desk and pulled out a dull copper shield. If he'd been that observant, he'd have noticed how hungrily Vimes's eyes watched it. The new sergeant-at-arms picked up his badge with care and saluted yet again. "'Oath, sir,' he said. "'Oh, er, uh, that thing, uh, I believe I've got it written down somewhere.' Vimes took a deep breath. This probably wasn't a good idea, but he was flying now. "'I, comma, square bracket, recruits name, square bracket, comma, do solemnly swear by, square bracket, recruits deity of choice, square bracket, to uphold the laws and ordinances of the city of Ankh-Morpork, comma, Serve the public trust, comma, and defend the subjects of his, stroke, her, bracket, delete, whichever is inappropriate, bracket, majesty, bracket, name of reigning monarch, bracket, without fear, comma, favour, comma, or thought of personal safety, semicolon, to pursue evildoers and protect the innocent, comma, laying down my life, if necessary, in the cause of said duty, comma, so help me, bracket, aforesaid deity, bracket, full stop, gods, save the king, stroke, queen, bracket, delete, whichever is inappropriate, bracket, full stop. My word! "'Well done,' said Tilden. "'You have come well-prepared, Sergeant.' "'And now it's the King's shilling, sir,' said Vimes insistently, "'soaring on wings of audacity. "'What?' "'I have to take the King's shilling, sir.' "'Eh, uh, do we have a... "'It's <clears throat> in the bottom drawer, sir,' said Snouty helpfully, "'on the bit of string.' "'Oh, yes,' said Tilden, beaming. "'It's a long time since we used that. "'What?' "'Is it?' said Vimes. After some rummaging, Tilden produced the coin. It was a genuine old shilling, probably worth half a dollar now for just its silver, and thus, coppers being coppers, it had always been dropped into the new copper's hand and then tugged away before it was pinched. Vimes had taken the oath once. He wondered if taking it twice cancelled it out. But it needed to be done, and you had at least to touch the shilling. He felt the weight in his palm and took a small, shameful pleasure in closing his fingers on it before the captain had time to drag it back. Then, point made, he released his grip. With a final salute, he turned and tapped Snouty on the shoulder. "'With the captain's permission, I'd like a chat with you outside, please.' And Vimes strode out. Snouty looked at Tilden, who was still sitting as though hypnotised, the shilling dangling from his fist. 
the captain managed to say, "'Good man, that. Very good. Got back, Ben.' "'I'll just go and see what he wants, sir,' said Snouty, and scuttled out. He had reached the end of the corridor when a hand came out of the shadows and pulled him close. "'You're a useful man to know, Snouty,' hissed Vimes. "'I can tell.' "'Yes, sir,' said Snouty, held half on tiptoe. "'You've got your ear to the ground, eh?' "'Yes, sir.' "'There's someone in every nick who knows all that's going on "'and can lay his hands on just about anything, Snouty, "'and I think you are that man.' <laughs> "'Yes, sir.' "'Then listen here,' said Vimes. "'Size eight boots, size seven and a quarter helmet, "'a good leather cape. "'The boots should be a good make, but second hand. "'Got that?' Second hand. "'Yes, soles pretty nearly worn through.' "'Soles pretty nearly worn through.' <laughs> "'Check.' said Snouty. Breastplate, not to have any rust on it, but a few dents will be okay. A good sword, Snouty, and believe me, I know a good sword when I hold one. As for all the rest of the stuff, well, I know a man like you can get hold of the very best and have it delivered to Dr Lorne's place in Twinkle Street by ten this morning. And there'll be something in it for you, Snouty. What'll that be, sir? said Snouty, who was finding the grip uncomfortable. My undying friendship, Snouty said Vimes, which is going to be an extremely rare coin in these parts, let me tell you. Right you are, Sarge, said Snouty. And will you be wanting a bell, sir? A bell? For ringing and shouting. (coughs) All's well with, Sarge. Vimes considered this a bell. Well, every copper still got a bell. It was down there in regulations. But Vimes had banned its use on anything but ceremonial occasions. "'No bell for me, Snouty,' said Vimes. "'Do you think things are well?' Snouty swallowed. "'Could go either way, Sarge,' he managed. "'Good man. See you this afternoon.' There was a glow of dawn in the sky when Vimes strode out, but the city was still a pattern of shadows. In his pocket was the reassuring heaviness of the badge, and in his mind the huge, huge freedom of the oath— Ruler after ruler had failed to notice what a devious oath it was. He walked as steadily as he could down to Twinkle Street. A couple of watchmen tried to waylay him, but he showed them the badge, and more importantly, he had the voice now. It had come back to him. It was night, and he was walking the streets, and he owned the damn streets, and somehow that came out in the way he spoke. They'd hurried off. He wasn't sure they'd believed him, but at least they'd pretended to. The voice had told them he could be the kind of trouble they weren't paid enough to deal with. At one point, he had to step aside as a very thin horse dragged a huge and familiar four-wheeled wagon over the cobbles. Frightened faces looked out at him from between the wide metal strips that covered most of it, and then it disappeared into the gloom. Curfew was claiming its nightly harvest. These were not good times. Everyone knew Lord Winder was insane— and then some kid who was equally mad had tried to knock him off, and would have done, too, if the man hadn't moved at the wrong moment. His lordship had taken the arrow in the arm, and they said, they being the nameless people of the kind that everyone met in the pub, that the wound had poisoned him and made him worse. He suspected everyone and everything. He saw dark assassins in every corner. The rumour was that he woke up sweating every night because they even got into his dreams. And he saw plots and spies everywhere throughout his waking hours, and had men root them out, and the thing about rooting out plots and spies everywhere is that even if there are no real plots to begin with there are plots and spies galore very soon at least the night watch didn't have to do much of the actual rooting they just arrested the pieces 
It was the special office in Cable Street that was the long hand of his lordship's paranoia. The particulars, they were officially, but as far as Vimes could remember they'd revelled in their nickname of the Unmentionables. They were the ones that listened in every shadow and watched at every window. That was how it seemed, anyway. They certainly were the ones who knocked on doors in the middle of the night. Vimes stopped in the dark. The cheap clothes were soaked through, the boots were flooded, rain was trickling off his chin and he was a long, long way from home. Yet, in a treacherous kind of way, this was home. He'd spent most of his days working nights. Walking through the wet streets of a sleeping city was his life. The nature of the night changed, but the nature of the beast remained the same. He reached into the ragged pocket and touched the badge again. In the darkness, where lamps were few and far between, Vimes knocked on a door. A light was burning in one of the lower windows, so Lorne was presumably still awake. After a while, a very small panel slid back, and he heard a voice say, "'Oh, it's you!' There was a pause, followed by the sound of bolts being released. The doctor opened the door. In one hand he held a very long syringe. Vimes found his gaze inexorably drawn to it. A bead of something purple dripped off the end and splashed onto the floor. "'What would you have done? Inject me to death?' he said. "'This?' Lorne looked at the instrument as if unaware he'd been holding it. "'Oh, just sorting out a little problem for someone. Patients turn up at all hours.' "'I'll bet they do.' "'Ah, uh, Rosie said you had a spare room,' said Vimes. "'I can pay,' he added quickly. "'I've got a job. Five dollars a month? I won't be needing it for long.' "'Upstairs on the left,' said Lorne, nodding. "'We can talk about it in the morning.' "'I'm not a criminal madman,' said Vimes. He wondered why he said it and then wondered who he was trying to reassure. "'Never mind, I'm sure you'll soon fit in,' said Lorne. There was a whimper from the door leading to the surgery. "'The bed's not aired, but I doubt that you'll care,' he said. "'And now, if you'll excuse me.' It wasn't aired, and Vimes didn't care. He didn't even remember getting into it. He woke up once in panic and heard the sound of the big black wagon rattling down the street, and then it just, quite seamlessly, became part of the nightmare.' At ten o'clock in the morning, Vimes found a cold cup of tea by his bed and a pile of clothes and armour on the floor outside the door. He drank the tea while he inspected the pile. He'd read Snouty right. The man survived because he was a weathercock and kept an eye on which way the wind was blowing, and right now the wind was blowing due Vimes. He'd even included fresh socks and drawers, which hadn't been in the specification. It was a thoughtful touch. They probably hadn't been paid for, of course. They had been obtained. This was the old night watch. But glory be, the breathy little crawler had scrounged something else too. The three stripes for a sergeant had a little gold crown above them. Vimes instinctively disliked crowns, but this one he was prepared to treasure. He went downstairs doing up his belt, and bumped into Lorne coming out of his surgery, wiping his hands on a cloth. The doctor smiled absently, then focused on the uniform. The smile did not so much fade as drain. "'Shocked,' said Vimes. "'Surprised,' said the doctor. "'Rosie won't be, I expect. "'I don't do anything illegal, you know.' "'Then you've got nothing to fear,' said Vimes. "'Really? "'That proves you're not from around here,' said Lorne. "'Want some breakfast? "'There's kidneys.' "'This time it was Vimes's smile that drained. "'Lamb,' the doctor added. "'In the tiny kitchen he prized the lid off a tall stone jar "'and pulled out a can. "'Vapour poured off it. "'Ice,' he said. "'Get it from over the road.' "'Keeps food fresh.' 
Vimes's brow wrinkled. Over the road? You mean the mortuary? Don't worry, it's not been used, said Lorne, putting a pan on the stove. Mr. Garnished drops off a lump a few times a week in payment for being cured of a rather similar medical condition. But mostly you work for the ladies of, shall we say, negotiable affection, said Vimes. Lorne gave him a sharp look to see if he was joking, but Vimes's expression hadn't changed. Not just them, he said. There are others. People who come in by the back door, said Vimes, looking around the little room. People who, for one reason or another, don't want to go to the better-known doctors. Or can't afford them, said Lorne. People who turn up with no identity. And you had a point, John. No, no, just asking, said Vimes, cursing himself for walking right into it. I just wondered where you trained. Why? The kind of people who come in by the back door are the kind of people who want results, I imagine. Ha! Well, I trained in Clatch. They have some novel ideas about medicine over there. They think it's a good idea to get patients better, for one thing. He turned over the kidneys with a fork. Frankly, Sergeant, I'm pretty much like you. We do what needs doing. We work in uh, unpopular areas, and I suspect we both draw the line somewhere. I'm no butcher. Rosie says you aren't. But you do the job that's in front of you, or people die. I'll remember that, said Vimes. And when all's said and done, said Lorne, there are worse things to do in the world than take the pulse of women. After breakfast, Sergeant-at-Arms John Keel stepped out into the first day of the rest of his life. He stood still for a moment, shut his eyes, and swivelled both feet like a man trying to stub out two cigarettes at once. A slow, broad smile spread across his face. Snouty had found just the right kind of boots. Willikins and Sybil between them conspired to prevent him wearing old, well-worn boots these de- those days, and stole them away in the night to have the soles repaired. It was good to feel the streets with dry feet again, and after a lifetime of walking them, he did feel the streets. There were the cobblestones, cat heads, troll heads, loaves, short and long sets, rounders, more pork sixes, and the eighty-seven types of paving brick, and the fourteen types of stone slab, and the twelve types of stone never intended for street slabs, but which had got used anyway, and had their own patterns of wear, and the rubbles, and the gravels, and the repairs, and the thirteen different types of cellar cover, and twenty types of drain lid. He bounced a little, like a man testing the hardness of something. Elm Street, he said. He bounced again. Junction with Twinkle. Yeah. He was back. It wasn't many steps to Treacle Mine Road, and as he turned towards the watch house, a flash of colour caught his eye. And there it was, overhanging a garden wall. Lilac was common in the city. It was vigorous and hard to kill, and had to be. The flower buds were noticeably swelling. He stood and stared, as a man might stare at an old battlefield. They rise, hands up, hands up, hands up. How did it go now? Think of things happening one after the other. Don't assume that you know what's going to happen, because it might not. Be yourself. And, because he was himself, he made a few little purchases in little shops in dark alleys, and went to work. The Treacle Mine Road night watch house was generally deserted around midday, but Vimes knew that Snouty at least would be there. He was a persistent floater, just like Nobby and Colon and Carrot, and when you got down to it, Vimes as well. 
Being on duty was their default state of being. They hung around the watch house even when off duty, because that's where their lives took place. Being a copper wasn't something you left hanging by the door when you went home. But I promise I'll learn how, thought Vimes. When I get back, it'll all be different. He went around the back and let himself in by the stable entrance. It wasn't even locked. Black mark right there, lads. The iron bulk of the hurry-up wagon stood empty on the cobbles. Behind it was what they called now the stables. In fact, the stables were only the bottom floor of what would have been part of Ank Morpork's industrial heritage, if anyone had ever thought of it like that. In practice, they thought of it as junk that was too heavy to cart away. It was part of the winding gear from a treacle mine, long since abandoned. One of the original lifting buckets was still up there, glued to the floor by its last load of the heavy, sticky, unrefined treacle, which, once set, was tougher than cement and more waterproof than tar. Vimes remembered, as a kid, begging chippings of pig treacle off the miners. One lump of that, oozing the sweetness of prehistoric sugarcane, could keep a boy's mouth happily shut for a week. In the same way that ancient forests become coal, ancient swathes of natural sugarcane can become, under the pressures of millennia, what in various parts of the disc is known as hokey-pokey, pig treacle, or rock molasses. But much boiling and purification was necessary to create the thick golden syrup that was the city dweller's honey, and these days ank Morpork supplies come from the more accessible toffee beds near Querm. Inside the treacle-roofed stable level, chewing a bit of bad hay, was the horse. Vimes knew it was a horse because it checked out as one. Four hooves, tail, head with mane, seedy brown coat. Considered from another angle, it was half a ton of bones held together with horse hair. He patted it gingerly. As one of nature's pedestrians, he'd never been at home around horses. He unhooked a greasy clipboard from a nail nearby and flicked through its pages. Then he had another look around the yard. Tilden never did that. He looked at the pigsty in the corner where Nock kept his pig, and then at the chicken run, and the pigeon loft, and the badly made rabbit hutches, and he did a few calculations. The old watch house. It was all there, just like the day he first arrived. It had been two houses once, and one of them had been the treacle mine office. Everywhere in the city had been something else once and so the place was a maze of blocked-in doorways and ancient windows and pokey rooms. He wandered around like a man in a museum. See the old helmet on a stick for archery practice? See Sergeant Knox's broken springed armchair where he used to sit out on sunny afternoons? And inside the smell, floor wax, stale sweat, armour polish, unwashed clothes, ink, a hint of fried fish, and always, here, a taint of treacle. The Night Watch he was back. When the first members of the night watch came in, they found a man perfectly at ease, leaning back in a chair with his feet on a desk and leafing through paperwork. The man had sergeant stripes and an air of an unsprung trap. He was also giving absolutely no attention to the newcomers. He particularly paid no heed to one gangly lance constable who was still new enough to have tried to put a shine on his breastplate. They fanned out among the desks with muttered conversations. Vimes knew them in his soul. They were in the night watch because they were too scruffy, ugly, incompetent, awkwardly shaped or bloody-minded for the day watch. They were honest in that special policeman sense of the word. That is, they didn't steal things too heavy to carry, and they had the morale of damp gingerbread. 
He'd wondered last night about giving them some kind of pep talk by way of introduction, and decided against it. They might be very bad at it, but they were coppers, and coppers did not respond well to the happy family's approach. Hello, chaps. Call me, Christopher. My door's always open. I'm sure if we all pull together, we shall get along splendidly, like one big happy family. They'd seen too many families to fall for that rubbish. Someone cleared their throat with malice aforethought. Vimes glanced up and into the face of Sergeant Knocker Knock, and, for a fraction of a second, had to suppress the urge to salute. Then he remembered what Knock was. "'Well?' he said. "'That's my desk you're sitting at, Sergeant,' said Knock. Vimes sighed and pointed to the little crown on his sleeve. "'See this, Sergeant,' he said. "'It's what they used to call the Hat of Authority.' Knock's little weasley eyes focused on the crown, and then they went back to Vimes's face and widened in the shock of recognition. "'Bloody hell!' breathed Knock. "'That's bloody hell, sir,' said Vimes. "'But Sarge will do, most of the time. "'And this is your mob, is it? Oh, dear. "'Well, let's make a start.' He swung his feet off the desk and stood up. "'I've been looking at the feed bills for Marilyn,' he said. "'Interesting reading, lads. "'According to my rough calculations, a horse eating that much ought to be approximately spherical. Instead, she's so thin that with two sticks and some sheet music I could give you a tune. Vimes put the papers down. Don't think I don't know where the corn goes. I bet I know who's got the chickens and rabbits and pigeons, he said. And a pig. I bet the captain thinks they get fat on leftovers. Yeah, but... a voice began. Vimes's hand slammed on the desk. "'You lot even starve the damn horse,' he said. "'That stops right now. "'So will a lot of other things. "'I know how it works, see. "'Mumping free beer and a donut. "'well, that's part of being a copper. "'And who knows, there might even be a few greasy spoons in this town "'so happy to see a copper "'that they will spontaneously offer him a free nosh. "'Stranger things have happened. "'But nicking the oats from Marilyn, that stops now. "'And another thing. "'Says here that last night the hurry-up wagon had eight passengers,' he said. Two of them I know about, because one of them must have been me, and I met the other man. The cells are empty this morning. What happened to the other six? Sergeant Knock? The sergeant licked his lips nervously. Uh, jot them off in Cable Street for questioning, of course, he said, as per instructions. Did you get a receipt? I what? Your men hauled in six people who were staying out late, and you handed them over to the unmentionables, said Vimes, with the calm that comes before a storm. Did they sign for them? Do you even know their names? Orders is just to hand them over, said Nock, trying a little defiance. Hand them over and come away. Vimes filed that for future reference and said, Now, I didn't get taken there because we had a bit of a misunderstanding. And as you can see, it was a bigger misunderstanding than you thought. Because I'm not down in the tanty counting cockroaches, Nock. No, indeed. He took a few steps forward. I'm standing in front of you, Knock. Isn't that what I'm doing? Yes, Sarge, Knock muttered, pale with fear and fury. Yes, Sarge, said Vimes. But there was another man in the cells and he's gone too. All I want to know is, how much and who to? I don't want any looks of cherubic innocence. I don't want any don't know what you're talking about, sir. I just want to know, how much and who to? A cloud of red, resentful solidarity settled over the faces in front of him. But he didn't need telling. He could remember.
Corporal Quirk, always had a private income from bribes. He'd been like Nobby Nobs without the latter's amiable incompetence. An efficient Nobby, in fact, and you could throw into the mix bullying and brown-nosing and a delight in small evils. Vimes's gaze fell on Quirk and stayed there. "'I know you were on a wagon last night, Corporal,' he said. "'You and Lance Constable, and uh, Vimes, it says here.' "'Not worth worrying if they look a decent sort,' Quirk had said. And he'd said, "'How can we tell if they're a decent sort, Corp? "'Well, you see how much they can afford. "'You mean we let them go if they're rich? "'Way of the world, lad, way of the world. "'No reason why we shouldn't get our share, eh? "'I do see his money bag. Five dollars should do it.' Four for me and one for you, cause you're learning. That's nearly three days' pay. It'll cheer up your old mum no end. And where's the loser? But suppose he's nicked the money, Corp. Suppose the moon was made of cheese. Would you like a slice? I think it was five dollars, Corporal, said Vimes, and watched the man's lizard eyes flash towards the young Lance Constable. No. The man in the cell talked, lied Vimes. Told me I was an idiot not to buy me way out. So, Mr Quirk, it's like this. They're crying out for good men in the day watch, but if you don't stand too close to light, you might pass. Get along there right now. Everybody does it, Quirk burst out. It's perks, everybody, said Vimes. He looked around at the squad. Anyone else here take bribes? His glare ran from face to face, causing most of the squad to do an immediate impression of the floorboard and ceiling inspector's synchronised observation team. Only three members met his gaze. There was Lance Corporal Colon, who could be a little slow. There was a certain Lance Constable whose face was a mask of terror. And there was a dark-haired, round-faced constable who seemed to be puzzled, as if he was trying to remember something but who nevertheless stared back with the firm, steady gaze of the true liar. "'Apparently not,' said Vimes. Quirk's finger shot out and vibrated in the direction of young Sam Vimes. "'He shared it, he shared it,' he said. "'You ask him!' Vimes felt the shock run round the squad. Quirk had just committed suicide. You hung together against officers, fair enough, but when the jig was up, you did not drop someone in the khaki.' They'd laugh at the idea of a watchman's honour, but it did exist in a black and twisty way. You did not drop your mates in the khaki. And especially, you did not do it to a wet-behind-the-ears rookie who wouldn't know any better. Vimes turned for the first time to the young man he'd been avoiding. Gods, was I ever that skinny, he thought. Did I ever have that much Adam's apple? Did I really try to polish rust? The young man's eyes were almost back in his head, only the whites showing. "'Lance Constable Fimes, isn't it?' he said quietly. "'Yes, sir,' said Sam hoarsely. "'At ease, Lance Constable. "'Did you, in fact, take a share of the bribe?' "'Yes, sir, a dollar, sir.' "'At the instigation of Corporal Quirk?' "'Er, sir?' "'Did he offer it to you?' Vimes translated. Vimes watched his own agony, you did not drop someone in the khaki. All right, he said at last. I'll talk to you later on. Oh, you still here, Quirk? If you want to complain to the captain, that's fine by me. But if you don't get your stuff out of your locker in ten minutes, I'll damn well charge you rent. Quirk looked around for immoral support and found none. He'd gone too far. 
Besides, the watch could see a storm of khaki when it was right overhead, and were in no mood to stick their necks out for something like work. "'I will,' he said. "'I will complain to the captain. You'll see. You'll see. I've got four years' good conduct, I have.' "'No, that was four years not found out,' said Vimes. "'Clear off.' When Quirk's footsteps had died away, Vimes glared at the squad. "'Good afternoon, lads. My name's John Keel," he said. "'We bloody well better get along fine. "'Now shine up. Captain's inspection in two minutes. Off you go. "'Sergeant Nock, a word, please.' The men dispersed hurriedly. Nock stepped forward, not quite managing to conceal his nervousness. After all, his immediate superior now was a man who, last night, he had kicked in the nadgers. People could hold a grudge about a thing like that. And he'd had time to think. "'I'd just like to say, sir, about last night,' he began. "'I'm not bothered about last night,' said Vimes. "'You're not?' "'Would you recommend Fred Colon for Corporal? "'I'd value your judgment.' "'You would?' "'Certainly. "'He looks a solid lad.' "'He is? "'I mean, yes, he is. "'Very thorough,' said Nock, "'relief rising off him like steam. "'Doesn't rush into things. "'Wants to join one of the regiments.' "'Well, we'll give him a try while we've still got him. "'That means we'll need another Lance Corporal. "'Who was that lad next to Colon?' "'Coates, sir, Ned Coates. "'Bright lad. "'Sometimes thinks he knows better, "'but we were all like that, eh?' Vimes nodded. His expression completely failed to give away the fact that, as far as he was concerned, there were things clinging to the underside of high branches that knew better than Sergeant Nock. "'A taste of responsibility might do him some good, then,' he said. Nock nodded, because at that point he would have agreed to absolutely anything. And his body language was saying, "'We're all sergeants together, right? We're talking about sergeanty things like sergeants do. We're not bothered about anyone being kicked in the nadges, eh? Not us!' "'Cause we're sergeants!' "'His eyes widened, and he saluted as Tilden entered the office. "'There was some half-hearted saluting amongst the squad, too. "'The captain acknowledged them stiffly, and looked nervously at Vimes. "'Ah, uh, sergeant,' he said. "'Settling in?' "'Yes, sir. No problems. Well done. Carry on.' "'When the man had disappeared up the creaking stairs, Vimes turned back to knock. "'Sergeant, we don't hand over prisoners without a receipt. Understand? Never.' "'What happens to them afterwards, do you know?' "'They get questioned,' said Nock. "'We takes them up there for questioning.' "'What kind of questions? "'How long it takes two men to dig half a hole?' "'What?' "'From now on, someone at Cable Street signs for prisoners "'or we bring them right back here,' said Vimes. "'It's bloody elementary, Sergeant. "'You hand them over, you get a docket. "'Don't you do that down at the Tanty?' "'Well, yeah, obviously, but, well, Cable Street, I mean, you don't know what it's like here. "'I can see that, but with the unmentionables around at Cable Street, it's best not to—' "'Listen, I'm not telling you to kick the door down and shout, "'Put down those thumbscrews,' said Vimes. "'I'm telling you we keep track of prisoners. "'When you arrest a man, you sign him over to Snouty, don't you? "'When he leaves, Snouty or the orderly man signs him out, doesn't he? "'It's basic—' "'Custody, discipline, man. "'So, if you hand a prisoner over to Cable Street, "'someone there gives you a signature. "'Understand? "'No one just disappears.' "'Nock's face showed a man contemplating an immediate future "'that contained fewer opportunities for personal gain "'and a greatly raised risk of being shouted at. "'And just to make sure everyone understands, "'I'll ride the wagon tonight,' said Vimes.' But first, I'll take that lad Vimes out for a stroll and shake him up a bit. He could do with it, said Nock. 
Can't get his mind right. Good with his ends, but you have to tell him everything twice. Maybe I'll shout then, said Vimes. Vimes! Lance Constable Vimes shivered to attention. We're going to take a stroll, lad, said Vimes. Time you knew what's what. He nodded to knock, took his younger self by the shoulder and marched out. What do you think, Sarge? said Coates, coming up behind Nock as the sergeant glared at the departing back. He likes you, said Nock bitterly. Oh, yes, apple of his eye you are. You're his old pal. You're being bumped up to Lance Corporal. Think it'll last? I'll give him a couple of weeks, said Nock. I've seen him like that before. Big men in little towns coming here, thinking of the bee's nose. We soon cut him down to size. What do you think? Dunno, Sarge, said Coates. Still thinking. Nosey's coppering, mind you, said Nock. Bit too cocky, though. He'll learn. He'll learn. There's ways. We'll show him. Take him down a peg. Teach him how he do things around here. End of CD 3